Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I have a very special guest today, Emily Hamblin, correct? Is that a good, okay, is a mom of four. She's a former foster mom of 27, a neurodiverse family, and many years of experience as an educator. She understands the overwhelm that can come when parenting a child with challenging behaviors, especially when he or she hasn't seemed to outgrow their challenges quite like you thought that they would. Emily created Enlightening Motherhood to help parents handle their big, their kids' big emotions. Welcome, Emily. How are you today? I am fabulous. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. Okay, let's dive in. So, um, well, let's do my icebreaker round first. What is your favorite book or one that you would like to recommend? I knew you would be asking this question, and it is so hard for me to say one favorite book. I have like a dozen favorite books. Some of my clients tell me that I'm like the Cliff Notes version of parenting books because I just love to refer to so many different resources. Um if I'm going to have to choose one, it would be a toss-up between The Whole Brain Child by Tina Bain Bryson and Dan Siegel or Brain Body Parenting by Mona Delahook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read, I didn't fully completely read The Whole Brain Child. Um, it's one of those books like I refer back to, but it is a very good book. It is a, it has a lot of great tips and tricks. Um and perspectives of, and I can see based on the work that you do, why you would like that book. So that's a good recommendation. Okay. Share, if you could, any resources that have helped you build your business out, um, groups or anything, anything that has helped you in your business endeavors. Um, There are so many things I think that help in my business endeavors, much like the village, right? Um, one resource that I've been tapping into lately is collaborating more with other people in my field, much mm-hmm. like you. And um, I think when I first started my business, I felt like I was just doing this alone and I needed to, I don't know why, I felt like I needed to do my business alone. And the more that I've reached out and collaborated and found um, just that village, camaraderie, yeah, mm-hmm. and other other um coaches and motherhood experts that it has made my business experience so much richer. And so that's something I wish I had done earlier on. Yeah, I did a presentation on the importance of finding your village, not only in motherhood, but entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship starting a business is very much similar to motherhood. We're very isolated, very overwhelmed. um, And a lot of business owners struggle with mental health issues due to that it's only us, right? Whether we can't afford to bring on help and truthfully finding that village. So that's great that you have it now. And I, same thing with me, I didn't really do it in the beginning. Um, but now I've really tried to surround myself with people that I can bounce ideas off of and have that community because it's so important. So that's great that you found it now. Um, who and what has been a part of your motherhood village? Now that we're talking about village, who's been a part of your motherhood village? Um. The longer I've been a mom, the larger my village has become. And again, that's something I'm sure you hear a lot of us say, I wish earlier on that I had asked for more help and that I had included more people in 
whatever it was I was struggling with. I've always been really good at reaching out and offering the help, but to ask for it and receive it, it took me a lot of time to do that, um, which I guess we'll be jumping into some of the, when it hit really low and I realized I'm either going to sink or swim. And if I'm going to swim, I need some life floats. And yeah, that's when I had to learn how to reach out better. Okay. So let's dive into that. So you have enlightening motherhood. Did you needing to find your village kind of, did that kind of stem from it? Um, Did you need to find more tools? I mean, you're a mom of four, you're a foster mom of 27. And I do want to dive a little bit into that, but with enlightening motherhood, what is your mission behind it? How do you hope to impact mothers and families with the work that you do? Yeah. So I have a background as an educator and I've wanted to be a teacher since I was in high school. I'm one of the rare people that never changed their major in college. Like (laughs) I chose in high school, I was going to be a Spanish teacher. I went into college and I never changed my major once. I graduated with my bachelor's within like eight semesters, including a study abroad. Like I just had my sights. I knew what I wanted to do. And I I ate up all of the education classes. I loved them, all of the tutoring, all of the um, internships, jumped straight into teaching within like 10 days of graduating college. Like I was just teacher mode. And so I was certain that when I became a mom, all of that educational experience would just transfer over and much (laughs) like I rocked the teaching world so well, I was going to rock this motherhood thing. And I did rock it in one way. I loved being a mom, like Mm -hmm. love my children so much, so much, but it was so much harder than I thought. Um, So many aspects about motherhood that didn't transfer over from teaching And it took me a while to find a lot of missing links. And especially because my kids had such intense emotions and I kept waiting for them to outgrow it. You know, we hear about the terrible twos. Well, for me, the twos were great. It was the threes and fours that became rough. And then it was the seven and eight that was like awful. And um, it was mostly the emotional dysregulation that my children have. And I didn't have the words for it then. I would just be like, my kid is freaking out and I yeah. don't know why and Difficult. I don't know how to yeah. calm him down. Yeah. yeah. And of course I thought it was my own issues as a parent or my own shortcomings or things I was doing wrong. And it took me a long time to realize, no, it's just because my child, my their brain is just wired differently. And much like some kids might have a brain that doesn't pick up reading quite as quickly or math quite as quickly, or maybe it takes them longer to learn how to swim or to, to catch and throw a ball, right? They, they just have different wiring in their brains that makes them more likely to achieve, I'll put like success in quotes here, but um, to be able to get that skill quickly, they, they're more likely to, some kids are, and other kids it takes a bit more um, effort and different approaches to teach them those same skills. It's the same with emotional regulation. Some kids, they might be neurodiverse, they might be highly sensitive, or they might just have like, different wiring in their brains around certain emotional regulation areas that causes them to struggle a little bit more with naturally learning the skills to handle their emotions when they come up. A hundred percent. And may I ask though, so 
And I guess you can tell me then how you connected that with you saying, you know what, from being this dream that you had to want to be in education to now saying, wait a minute, I have these kids. It's difficult for me. Similar with my situation, except I came from the corporate background. I thought I was going to have motherhood in the bag as well. I'm like, oh, I've managed teams. I've worked in high stressful environments. Quickly realized one has nothing to do with the other. Some thought process there, right? I mean, of understanding some type of management and leadership, but still very different. So talk to me about when that transition happened that you said, okay, let me leave education and really focus on, I would imagine, learning your own skill sets that then you can help other parents. Tell me about that transition and how that came about. Sure. I've always had one foot in education. It just became very part-time when I became a mom. I was um, teaching part-time. I took a year off. I would maybe do online teaching or tutoring, just something because that's my passion. And it was a little bit of a an outlet, like a creativity outlet. To, to keep doing something small in there. But motherhood did become my main, my main um, site whenever my, my um, first child was born. And um, yeah, goodness, I'm sorry. Could you, could you repeat the question there? Yeah. So basically, what was that transition like? And actually, before you tell me the transition, we'll start from there. What are the ages of your kids? And tell me, was it like after your first child, second child, where did you decide and say, okay, I'm focusing on motherhood and you have kind of like one foot in of still doing some education. But when did you decide that you were going to become a coach and use the skills that you learned to help you with your children to help other people? Okay. Well, that is a great question. Um, it's not an easy answer, unfortunately, but I have four children. My oldest is 12, and then I have an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. She's almost two. And um, between my 12-year-old and my eight-year-old, I actually had five consecutive miscarriages. And um, we, my husband and I always knew we wanted a large family. We, It was just something when we were dating, we talked about, yeah, we want to have a large family. Like Around five kids would be amazing. And before my first son, I had one miscarriage. Um, my first like living child, that pregnancy was extremely complicated. I um, won't go into all the details, but it was it was almost a miscarriage for until about week 14. And then things started to get better. So it was really, really rough. The doctors kept saying, oh, this is weird. We don't know why it's happening. You're in perfect health. And then I had two more miscarriages and they finally did all of the testing and everything came back normal. They're like, you have no disorders. Nothing is wrong. These are just all flukes, we guess. But then five in a row, that's when I started to go, okay, something's going on. You might not be able to diagnose it, but something is obviously going on. So at that point in time, I felt like we had choices. We could stop trying. Um, We could see a fertility specialist or we could look at adoption if if we wanted a larger family. And for us, um, like at this point in time, if any mom or whoever decided that they did want to stop trying, I would not at all think any negative thing about them. Cause that was, those were horrible dark years. Um, yeah. all of the hormones, all of the, un- like just everything. I lost so many friends at that time. Um, mm-hmm. my motherhood village dwindled cause I wasn't always showing up very well. I didn't sure. know how to handle it. I didn't have the skills to handle the grief and the postpartum depression that was probably coming on from all of those. Um, so anyways, we decided for us though, we just felt like we were supposed to have a larger family. So we simultaneously pursued a fertility specialist and 
adoption at the same time. And then I don't know if you've looked much into adoption, but it is not an easy thing. And so we looked at adoption through domestic adoption. We didn't really like those options. Then we looked at international adoption. We didn't really like those. Then we looked at foster care and we thought, okay, maybe we'll try foster care. But at the time we were living in the Navajo reservation in Arizona. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, it's like the nearest Walmart was 90 minutes away. So we were like in the middle of desolate desert. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful and we loved our time there. But for a foster agency, yeah, but I would start the certification <laughs> with them and then they asked for where? my address. They, yes. <laughs> as soon as I sent my address, I kid you not, four times in a row, they just stopped communication. <laughs> they oh, didn't wow. even they didn't even say we can't make it to you. They just kind of like stopped responding to me. So at that point in time we decided to foster with the tribe itself. Um, they needed it. We were the only, in that town where we lived, we were the only um, non-kinship, so non-family-based foster home in the whole town. And so they really, really needed someone who was willing to open their home to children that were in sure. need like that. Um, so we did decide to go to with that. Our chances of adoption was a lot lower because the tribe has different um preferences for adoptive families but we just felt like it was what we were supposed to do and then at the same time the fertility specialist things worked out we had a very successful pregnancy zero complications my wow. second son was born but we felt like at this point in time it shifted from like fostering with the hope of adopting to just fostering to help children in need because we had this space in our home I had skills to work with children my husband loves kids too and so that's when our foster journey became began was simultaneously while growing our wow. forever family. That's pretty awesome. And I know we're going to dive into that. So tell me, well, first of all, before I, you mentioned about enlightening motherhood, what made you live on the Navajo? Like, what was that? If you could just answer quickly, <laughs> like what, how did you end up there? I find, find that fascinating. Um, we live in Arizona and it was just, we were graduating from grad school and my husband is a history major. He had several internships and jobs that he had applied for and like almost got he was the finalist mm. and then went to the other finalist gotcha. and he hadn't planned on teaching but I've always been a teacher so I was like honey there's this teaching fair just go and like just get a feel for it just go there and he's like no one's gonna want me I don't ha don't have any background <laughs> in teaching and he went and he came home with three job offers wow. and one of them was in the town where we ended up living we went and we checked out the different towns that were offering them to him. And this one just felt right. And we That's loved awesome. it. My husband taught high school there for five years and it was, it was such a good experience. We really enjoyed our time there. I love that. I love hearing stories like that. Like, you just don't know where you're going to end up. So that's beautiful. Okay, so now enlightening motherhood. So you're on this, to kind of recap, so you're on this journey, um, you're going through a lot of trying to get pregnant. You decide to see a fertility specialist. Now that's going great for you. And at this point, you had your first child already, right? Uh, yes, we had our first child. At yes, this point. you have your first child. And then you're like, all right, we want to grow the family. The fertility aspect of it is going well, but then you're also fostering. So tell me during that time, when did it come that you said, okay, I want to become a coach to other help other parents? Where was that aha moment that you felt that the strategies you were using for your own children could help other people? That wasn't until way down the line. So we fostered mm -hmm. for three and a half years. Our final set wow. of foster children we had for almost a year and um 
all of the foster children had some degree of trauma. And so they all had higher emotional needs than most children would have, right? And um, for me, though, it was really easy to meet them where they were at with their emotional needs. Like, of course, you're melting down right now. Like, your whole life's been turned upside down. You have a history of neglect or of abuse yeah. or whatever it was. Like, of course, you're you're screaming at me over a car. Like, it was a lot easier for me. But um, when we finished up with foster care and we we moved from that location to where we are now and um, I was still struggling with my own kids and with their meltdowns and their really challenging behaviors. And I was not showing up the way that I wanted to in motherhood because I would get really frustrated with them. Like, you have no trauma. Like, to you, trauma was that I said, mm. no, we can't go to McDonald's today. Like, that's your kind of trauma. Like, you don't even know what it is. And I would get upset just comparing, which is something I do not recommend any mother do. Sure, but, but it's what but I, I understand. Doing. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it took me a while to meet my kids where they were at and, and finally understand like, okay, yes, you don't have that trauma, but you are still struggling and you do still have, you require me to parent you in a different way than what I've been parenting you if I want you to thrive. And it, I had to go through, <clears throat> excuse me, my own journey of um, learning, like kind of relearning how to parent these kids. And it wasn't the way that I was raised as, as much as I love my own parents. I couldn't parent my kids the way that I was parented or it wasn't going to turn out well. They were not thriving. We were not having peace at home. I was not having a good relationship with them. I had to go through my own journey. I read like book after book and hours and podcasts and experimenting and this and that and pulling like kind of taking all of my educational knowledge and working hands-on with children and then like applying it and experiencing um, different ways to to work with my own kids. And then I kind of like figured it out. It's like I turned around after a couple of really, really rough years. And I was like, oh my goodness. My, my kid was just screaming at me for 20 minutes because he didn't want to brush his teeth. And I stayed calm. And I was like, oh my, my, my children are fighting right now and they're throwing punches and, and I'm able to walk into that calmly and effectively and I'm helping them resolve it without me yelling at them, without me threatening them, without me having to um, end up in tears myself. Like all of the things that before would have been so hard. It was like I had all of these new skills and resources. So that's when I decided you know what, this would be really selfish for me to keep this to myself. And that's when Enlightening Motherhood was born. It was just a little bit over a year ago when I, I decided I really need to offer these services to other moms that are currently where I was because I felt so alone. And I just was like scrambling for answers. And Google is so overwhelming. And like social media, it's so contradicting. And advice for like, that kid didn't work for this kid. And just Figuring it out was, it was so hard. And so my goal is to give moms the shortcut to that. Like, let me, let me cut off a few years for you. And let me cut off a lot of frustration and a lot of dark times. And of course, the village aspect too, right? Like, we feel so alone when we have like a nine-year-old that's melting down for 45 minutes because he doesn't want to clear his plate from the table. Like, 
we feel so alone at that point in time, but we're not. There's so many other moms in that situation. And okay. I love it. So basically through your own trial and error, you have created and say, look, due to your many years experience with working with these children, I love the neurodiverse aspect and how we're framing things in that way. I actually spoke with an educator um, that maybe I'll even connect you with. She's based in New York and she's like an educator. So she helps parents like like um, tutor basically neurodiverse kids. And she explained it in a way that neurodiverse, a lot of times we think of like just like on the autism spectrum, but she was like, mm-hmm. that could be gifted. It could be ADD, anybody who even just learns differently. Um, so I love how you phrase that because to your point, every child is different. And it's crazy that you recognize that and kind of said, you know, you're taking, because I can see it's so very clear of how, you know, you're fostering these kids that to your point have like this tremendous trauma that you can have empathy for, but then and here come your kids and you have zero empathy for it because you're like, dude, like get it together. But understanding um, that's remarkable that you kind of figured that out because I think when we're in it, it's much harder. So where did the term enlightening come in and what does it mean to be in an enlightening motherhood, I guess, state? Um, and then what are ways that you help moms, families kind of get in the enlightening motherhood space? Workshops, coaching, talk to me about that. Yeah, so the this is really a great question. I, I have not actually been asked it before, but the term enlightening, um, we chose that on purpose because to enlighten is to bring knowledge to, right? To um, learn and to have that wisdom. Um, but it's also this idea of bringing light to, right? And like I said, my motherhood was mm-hmm. so dark and just being able to bring light and to have more clarity is a huge goal. And also it has that, um, it's a little spin on words, but to make lighter, right? So it's not quite so heavy. So it has those three different um, aspects to it. We also, I made it in the, the present participle there, the in enlightening, because this is a progress thing that we're looking at. This is a journey. It's not like, and now your motherhood is enlightened and you're done. It's like, this is a, this is a journey because we're, we're moms for the long haul right? We're, we're always going to be mothers. And so we always want to be on this journey of growing with our children as they're growing. I love that. I love that. I think that's so profound. Um, and then, yeah, what are the different ways that you work with families during through your programs? Um, there are a few different ways. I do have a couple of um, workshops and uh, little mini courses that they can purchase. But the the main way that I enjoy working with families is through memberships. I have a main membership. Um, the The price is probably going to change by the time this airs, but we're, we priced it to be really affordable. And it's sure. a monthly membership where they get access to well over 70 videos um, instantly. And then we have regular group coaching. There's an online community. They can ask me any question. They can connect with each other. They can go and find growth buddies. Um, we use that term instead of accountability partner because sometimes you just want someone to to be able to send a message to and say, my son is freaking out. I say son, I have three boys, but like my daughter is just freaking out right now. And I wanted to send a message to someone who gets it. All I did was tell her that we need to go to the doctor and now she's screaming and I just wanted to text someone that gets it. And so you have that all there. And plus, of course, all the tools that I've learned, like to if like me, you were yelling at your kids when you didn't want to, or you're, you're just over your head in stress and overwhelm, all of those things are affecting your child's emotional regulation. So we work on those. 
identifying why your kid has their big emotions, what's at the root of them, Mm -hmm. really getting specific because each child is so unique into why they have the big emotions, even though sometimes we just think it looks all the same. Like the why is so unique. And then you figure that out. You can teach them skills. You can help to build them up so that they have more skills to handle those difficult times that are difficult for them, whether or not we think they should be difficult. It's that it's difficult for them, right? Absolutely. No, I love that. Um, Okay. So you talked about enlightening motherhood. You talked about the different ways to work now to work with you. So you're still in the stages of it. Do you homeschool your children? Um. No, I have one school. Okay. One child goes to a charter school. The other child, um, he's in a a micro school. If you're familiar with what those are, it's like a learning yep. pod in somebody else's home. And then yes. that's part time, and that works out because this child is going to need a lot of. Um, Strad was just diagnosed with autism this year, so I didn't realize how far behind he was in a lot of developmental stages. And mm-hmm. so we're going to get him into therapies and services. So it will be like I love that half homeschool. I was doing in my own home a micro school also um, mm-hmm. for K through two, but I closed it at the end of last school year. So sad just to be able to focus more on my enlightening motherhood um, parent coaching business and also help my son with the services that he's going to need. Sure. No, I was talking, I had a meeting before this and um, older woman with like four adult children, actually her youngest is 17. It's her baby, but the other ones are like married kids and um yeah, she was telling me like different, her kids go to like different school. Like you have to go with what your kid needs, right? Um, and as much as I think this new age of motherhood could be a little overwhelming because, I mean, like you said, we were parented differently and growing up, like I just went to the school that was like available in our district. That was it. My parents could not afford, you know, the private school aspect, but it's beautiful that there are micro schools. There's home schools. Our version kind of of like a micro school down here is like a home school, but there's something called a kind academy where like they call it like a nature school and the kids are mixed ages and it's very, um, you know, a small group, intimate, curated. But the whole point is that it's great that there are so many options based on what your child's needs are. And I don't think I would ever kind of be that homeschooling. Like I'm not, I'm an educator in different ways, obviously through the podcast and different things, but I don't have the patience really, nor the creativity for that. So it's beautiful to see that there's other ways as opposed to the traditional schooling that is out there. But it could be a little overwhelming to your point because then moms are like, look, I don't know where to go. Where do I begin? Um, My cousin actually just posed this question on Instagram and she's like, can anyone help me with starting where to homeschool? So I sent her a couple of moms that I follow that homeschool. But it goes to the village aspect, right? We don't know what we don't know. We need that community. Um, So the reason why I had asked, because I I felt I was like, I wonder how that translates if you were homeschooling to your business. Um, But on another note, so going back to the fostering, can you share maybe some misconceptions? Because I think um, I did talk to actually an organization. Are you familiar with SAFI? 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 S-A-F-Y? Basically, so they help... um, they help basically um, connect parents uh, or connect people with fostering and, and different things. It's a, it's a nonprofit organization and they do some great work. I don't think they're all throughout the United States, but I learned so much about that aspect. And I wanted to ask you as someone who's been in it, if you can tell me maybe some misconceptions or some things you'd like to say were misconceptions that aren't, um, whether fostering families, fostering children, and how was it balancing foster children with your own biological children as your family? 
families growing, if you don't mind talking about that, because there could be someone listening that might want to or have an idea about that. So if you could just speak on that for me, please. For sure. So I... I think I didn't realize how hard foster care was. And this is going to sound so cold and heartless, but everybody would say, I could never foster because I could never say goodbye to the kids. And I'm going to say that actually was not the hardest part. That was hard. The hardest part is that you have the kids 24-7. What is that? 168 hours a week? You can check the math, but it's in that ballpark, right? And um, it's like if they're sick and you're sick and you have a lot going on. Like you still have those kids. It's not like when you're a teacher, you go to school, you teach them, you go home. Right. And then you're sick. You can call in, you get a sub. Like you don't have that. If you're, if your kid is sick, like you've got to take care of them. If you're sick too, no one's going to want to babysit your foster kid. Like they don't want to get sick also. Right. And so um, there's just a lot of it's, it's a very full-time commitment. And so like anyone that's considering being a foster mom, I would say like you have to, you, your um, husband, if you're married, right? Like you both need to be completely on board. If you're religious, like make sure that God's on board too. Because for us, we needed all three. I needed to fall back like, okay, I got my husband's support. I've got God's support and I'm all in. Like, because sometimes it got, really, really difficult. And um, the system itself is so overwhelmed. I do believe that all the social workers and caseworkers are doing their best, but they're just so overwhelmed. One caseworker had 51 cases. And so the sibling set that I had of two kids represented what, like less than 2% of her cases. So when I needed help and I needed approval for things and she just could not get back to me, it kind of makes sense. Why? Because she only had 40 hours a week. She was supposed to be working. She has less than one hour a week for my kids. Let's say she was in court for eight hours one day. Like the system itself was just so, so overwhelmed. And so that was all really, really hard. And yes, it was hard to say goodbye to them, but that's not the only hard part. So if you're considering it, just know the big picture of um, all of it. And then of course, I think another misconception, a lot of people would say like, oh man, you know, those kids are going to have issues, right? And that still gets me a little worked up. Like, yes, they have trauma, but I think every kid has issues, Um, (laughs) especially knowing what I know now. Yes, my own kids don't have trauma, but they might have ADHD or um, of like all the kids I worked with, they might have OCD, they might have anxiety, they might just have a brain that's underdeveloped in empathy, and it's harder for them to see it from someone else's perspective. And they want to, it's just not natural, and they need training. Like, every kid has what we could call issues, I would rather call them challenges. And just to label that onto foster kids, I felt like was unfair. Most of the, the foster children we have were very, very sweet, maybe um, like depressed and sad, but they were very sweet, very fun. And really, really just our family was really blessed from being able to have them in our home. Although of course it was also a lot of work at the same time. My God, I I would feel the way you were talking about it. It's such a selfless act, um, to have to impart that. Cause to your point, it's like, I would feel like their responsibility is almost greater because they're not your biological children that maybe you feel you can react maybe a little bit certain way because they're your own children where these 
children that you know have had already their own traumas and you're trying to be a little bit more empathetic with them, a little bit more compassionate, trying to be understanding. But then to your point, if you're having a day, so um, that is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I'm sure they've said thank you. But I mean, on behalf, I guess it's like, it's like, thank you for having that service. No, because I think there's women like you, people like you and your husband that do this selfless act of service that is so needed, right? And obviously not everybody does because if so, we wouldn't have the foster care issues that we have. So to open your door, I think was a beautiful, beautiful thing um, that you could do, especially as you're raising your own family. So that's awesome. Now I want to kind of pivot back to, um, I, I, I saw, so I, I um, stalked you on Instagram. I like to do some research on the guests that I have. And I saw some things and I love um you know, you shared some tips, tricks. So I want to ask you a couple of questions to maybe some moms that are listening that are going through the same thing. I love how you talk about the big kids' emotions. I think um, every parent can relate to that. Every mother can relate to that. Uh, Similar, I think my two-year-old, when he was two, it was, everyone's like terrible twos. I'm like, no, like we were good. It's as he's getting older and expressive and he talks extremely well. So there's a lot of questioning and there are times I want to be like, listen, because I freaking said so. And then I know I have to pause and have the mental capacity to be able to explain these things in depth. Um, even when he's like, no, I don't want to, you know, so let's, let's dive into some, some real life questions here. So my son is five. He'll be six in November and he's going to kindergarten. So big transition. And we are in the stages of big emotional and big transitions. Can you share any tips and tricks for me or anyone listening to this that can confidently handle his big emotions? Um, He's very smart, very good at problem solving. But yes, it can almost be like a, a zero to like a 180 where he's melted down because of, like you said, we told him to put on a shoe or I had to turn off the TV and it's time to go to school. Maybe, maybe share some tips and tricks there. For sure. So one thing that's kind of fun, um, to do is to tell the story from your son's perspective, but interject in there, the things that you, you know, aren't true, but your knee jerk reaction is telling you are true. For example, I might say, Okay, so I was sitting there watching TV and I was thinking to myself, just in case my mom comes, excuse me, just in case my mom comes up to me and says, it's time to put your shoes on. The moment she does that, I'm going to plan to start screaming at her because that would just be so much fun. And my goal today is to completely lose it on my mom when she asked me to put my shoes on. That would just make my day. That would be the best thing I could ever do. Now, of course, Nicole, you know that's not what he's thinking. But oftentimes as moms, we we don't consciously think that. But when our kid starts to like freak out and scream and then we get mad at them for doing it, it's because we're thinking that he's doing it on purpose, right? That it's somehow planned out and it's, it's what he wanted to do. Whereas if we stop and we realize like, actually, I very highly doubt that he planned to start screaming at me. Like, I'm sure it wasn't even on his radar. He was probably just thinking... Now we can go back and tell the story from his point of view. And you know your son best, but it might be something like if this were my kid, it might be something like, wow, I'm really enjoying this TV show. Wow, I'm really enjoying it. I I just want to keep watching it. It's so much fun. Oh boy, put my shoes on. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to stop watching this TV show. I don't want to leave the door. Like I can't, now I'm feeling all of this frustration. I'm feeling this, um, need to move from what I'm doing. So my mind is a bit bogged down. I'm having to stop paying attention to one thing and start paying attention to another. 
oh no, now I have all of this overwhelm in my brain. I need to release it. I don't have the skills to handle this yet. Kaboom. Right. And now we can be a little bit more compassionate. He just doesn't have the skills yet to stop watching TV and put on his shoes without having those big emotions. And when those big emotions come, he doesn't know how to handle them yet. He can, just not yet. And so he might, I don't know what your son does. Mine might scream or just flat out refuse or ignore me. Those are all all of the above. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So basically seeing it from their perspective and then kind of pausing, which truthfully goes back to, I think of what we're told where if we regulate our own selves, like a lot of times truthfully, and we talk about this in some of the support groups I have, because this comes up a lot. I mean, all of our kids, to your point, are handling that to some degree. I don't think there's very few kids that are just like, yes, sure. Absolutely. Oh, you want me to put on my shoe? There's always something, even the most, and I hate to say most behaved, but you know, kid, there's always something that might maybe trigger it. So it does come up. But what I do say often is a lot of times when that has happened, it's because I'm already rushing and I'm letting his reaction get me because I already know I'm either A, running late, I have a meeting to do afterwards, and I'm like, dude, I don't have time for this. And then it's escalated. Where if we took it back on the days that I'm like, ah, I have a little bit more leeway, we're running on time, I don't let it bother me as much, right? Doesn't that Mm -hmm. seem? So it's almost like that catch-22 where it's like it still goes back to making sure we set certain things, having a morning routine, having certain things in place. Because when our child is in that state of refusal or et cetera, that we're able to handle it a little bit better. And I'm sure a lot of what you do in teaching that helps to understand that. Because to your point, like you were saying, you were realizing your child would have these big emotions and you're calmly like, okay, well, let's work through it, you know, but a lot of trial and error with that. Okay. My second question. So one of the things we're also trying to build here is his confidence. And um, I don't know if you've kind of come across that with your own children. I'm sure even with some of the foster kids. So I see him like we went to a Mother's Day event at his school and he was drawing something. And I saw him look over at his friend's drawing, which he did like a great heart. And my son immediately covered his, flipped over the paper and was like, I want to draw something else. And I just sat with it and I said, okay, no problem. I didn't feed into it. But like, he'll talk about why he's shorter than his, like a lot of comparisons. So for any parents listening, because I think, you know, we're heading to kindergarten again, right? A bigger school, bigger things. How can I support him? And with the experience that you have had with your own children, when he is feeling stuck or not confident in himself or his abilities, maybe some suggestions there. For sure. And that is such a great question. Um, And I want to say this is where the role of parents is so vital for our children, because in my micro school last year, I saw this with a student a lot, just constantly comparing to friends, always looking at their work, always seeing their progress and always this student was not always falling short, but she could always find, you know, we as people, we can always find someone that's ahead of us in one area. So she would always find that student's ahead of me in this area and the other students ahead of me in that area and just feeling really um, low on herself for not being what she thought was good enough. And I, as a teacher, had so many tools and skills that I was pulling out. I had an aide and she was totally on board too. And it wasn't until I kind of coached mom a little bit and said, okay, so we're seeing this in the classroom. She's not misbehaving. It's not causing a problem in class. I'm just trying to build your child up here. And when I coached mom and mom at home spent time with the child, 
it was like a new kid walked in because mom had spent so much time. So what we did at school was, I'm sure it was important, but I think the parent relationship to that child is much stronger than any other relationship. So I'm so glad that you're asking. It's, it's so much more important than their schooling experience. But um, to go back to your question, what you can do, I don't think like in the moment is as important as out of the moment. And there are a few things. One is to help our children foster a growth mindset um, where we don't focus as much on what they've done as much as the effort that they put into it. And one of my favorite studies that I love to cite is they took um, st- they took a huge group of students and they divided them in half and they um, tried to make like socioeconomic status and educational abilities kind of equal between the two groups. And so that they were kind of two very similar groups and they gave these kids a test. Now, one group of students, they told before the test, we want you to do really well on this test. Make sure you get the highest score possible. Make sure you have the best outcome that you can have on this test. And the other group of students, they said, we want you to work really hard. Don't worry about your score. We just want you to work as hard as you can and, and just focus on, on that effort and working really, really hard. And don't worry about what your score is. And so what's fun, Nicole, who do you think got the higher score? The one who was challenged more by their efforts, not the outcome. Yes. Isn't that interesting that not focusing on the outcome gave them a better outcome, but they didn't even, had they not gotten that better outcome, it would have been okay. And those students even reported that they felt Like it was fun. Like it was a fun experience to take that test. Whereas the other group with the outcome, they reported high stress. They felt a lot of anxiety. It was just not a good one. So for us as parents, we can focus with our kids. Like, yes, we want them to do well academically. Um, In kindergarten, especially the grade really doesn't matter. And so let's just focus on that effort is one thing. Another thing when kids bring me their artwork and they're like, hey, look at what I just drew. Look at my heart. Do you like it? One thing I like to say is, I'll tell you in a minute. And by the way, yes, I do like it. But do you know what matters even more? It matters if you like it. And so I try to help. We do a lot of that. Internal. Yeah. And yeah, and it's it's, okay. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. There's this other one where no. Go ahead. You can always talk later, like, "Hey, I saw when you were drawing your paper, and you looked at your friends, and you kind of flipped yours over. Like, what's up? You know, just." Not judgmental, not stressed, not sad, just like, just trying to understand you. And then you might even say, like, how were you feeling? And at five, I don't know how he is with saying his feelings. You can, you can Google, like, emojis or things like, you know, how were you feeling at that time? And then were you feeling a little sad? Were you feeling disappointed? And, and letting him feel that. And this is another thing as parents. We want our kids to be happy and we want them to excel in this life. But what happens when they're teenagers and they've never learned how to handle disappointment? And they've never learned how to handle sadness or loneliness or these other emotions that we never want them to feel. And what happens if they're adults? Like, this is why I personally feel like there's such a problem with teenagers and substance abuse, um, drugs, overuse on social media, numbing things, video game numbing, because it is so much easier than handling feeling frustrated, upset, disappointed, let down. And so we don't want to force those emotions onto them, but can we help them learn how to handle them? Like, oh, you were feeling really disappointed. 
or, you know, help them identify their emotion. Which one were you feeling? Were you disappointed? Were you sad? Were you a little frustrated? Okay, so you were frustrated. Tell me about that. What did that frustration feel like to you? Where did you feel it in your body? Did you feel the frustration up here in your head? Was it in your chest? Was it in your back? Just help them identify where their body is processing it. And then, okay, so why were you frustrated? And then just help him handle that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And actually, there's too many things, two things I want to unpack there and unload. The first thing is I kind of subconsciously realized that because, again, um, the educator I spoke with, she had me realizing because my husband and I were thinking of um, testing him for gifted. But she had me realize that the misconception of giftedness, when we think of that, that we think our children are going to excel at everything because they're gifted and because he's extremely smart. Right. And I was like, oh, that's true because we have this misconception. And she's like, truthfully, gifted means that they might be excelling in above average in this particular thing compared to, let's say, other kids in the same thing. She's like, that doesn't mean. And it made me realize how much, to your point, when parents do put that, and there have been times I've told him or my husband and I, because he is extremely smart and has built Legos, we're like, wow. So that external... Um, what do we call it? You know, when you want the external like factors of, and there's a specific like term for it, motivation. but exactly. That's, thank you for that. Um, that he's leading with that. So when he is weaker or, or, or doesn't have a strength in a particular thing, that's when I think he lacks because he's like, wait a minute, my parents are telling me, and this one's telling me I'm great here, then that must mean I'm great in everything. So what we tried having to do, um, my husband and I, is we'll talk about our weaknesses as well and say, buddy, everyone has strengths, everyone has weaknesses. So my son will randomly be like, mommy, what's your weakness? And I say, well, my weakness is not building Legos because I don't enjoy it. And I don't, I'm not that builder. I said, but mommy's strengths are in math and reading. So we've kind of talked about that, but it did make me think to your point that I think my husband and I have to do, because we do talk to him a lot. Um, I've learned a lot from my guests on my podcast of how to, this has been like my own, like one-on-one -on -one therapy masterclass. So we do talk to him a lot, okay. but I think as you, as you were addressing the, basically to eliminate the extrinsic factors and really trying to focus as he gets older, like, like, listen, buddy, at the end of the day, as long as you really, truly tried your best and trying to eliminate and saying, oh, good job. But I want to know, like you said, always just telling him, tell me how it made you feel as opposed to us being like really amazed, even though we are, but kind of limiting that. So he understands it truly is in the outcome. So thank you for that. Part two, I love how you said that's why you think teenagers struggle. And it's so true. Again, a guest on my podcast. She's a TEDx speaker in Australia. I'll send you her um, her her TEDx. It was fantastic. She's a she's an aware parenting. There's like all these things: um, aware parenting, mindful parenting, conscious parenting. Older woman again with older children, and we had a phenomenal conversation. And she had me realizing the same thing that you said. She believes in allowing our children to express themselves because then they do turn into adults that then they're always looking for like that high in essence, that like, because they're always here. So because of that, that's when substance abuse can come in. That's when um, the adrenaline, the people who like that adrenaline, uh, junkies, because they're always looking for that next thing. Because from young, they've never sat in being lonely or scared or frustrated or overwhelmed or mad or any of those things because they're taught 
they're never taught anything, whether good, bad, or indifferent, but they're always taught like, oh, happy, this, and if I'm upset, that's a bad thing. So they're always chasing it. And it almost like clicked in me that I was like, oh, so that's why substance abuse. And she said, absolutely, because there's a correlation to that. She was like, that's why it's imperative. So I love how you said that because it's so true. And I think more parents need to understand that. Like it is so in this day and age, imperative to talk to our children and give them that space to be upset and understand so that they don't grow into adults that are looking for that happiness factor everywhere because then you're almost chasing it's like you're chasing something that doesn't exist because we're not always happy (laughs) oh that's so good and I don't think there's anything wrong with praising our kids in fact I recommend it it's just trying to be conscious on what we're praising them we were probably praised growing up oh good job you did so good that product is so awesome but to pause and it has to be conscious and sometimes even still like I've been saying this for years and still I'll be like, oh, good job. Oh, (laughs) that's fine. That's fine. It doesn't have to be every time, right? But to kind of shift it and be like, oh, wow. Like instead of you built such an amazing thing with with those Legos, there's nothing wrong with telling him that. But to try to shift a little bit to, wow, you worked so hard at building those Legos, right? And then when he's drawing the heart, maybe this can transfer and maybe it won't and this will be okay. But as he's drawing the heart and he sees his friend's product is better, Later, you can talk and be like, yeah, that's true. And we're disappointed and we're going to sit there and it's okay. And then after we felt our disappointment and handled it, you can go into, do you know what matters even more than drawing an amazing heart? And you could go a few different ways. You could say, it's being an amazing person. And that's what you are. Mm -hmm. You're caring, you're considerate, you're, you list all of his good qualities. You could also go the other route and say, it's working really hard at it because we can't praise our kids into drawing a good heart necessarily but we can praise them to work harder does that make sense and 100%. That's what is in their control they some kids won't have the same artistic abilities as others that's just a fact but they can work harder they can have that that um effort in there and if they hone that skill it's going to help them so much more than being able to draw a good heart is to be able to work hard at something that they can't do yet Love it. And the appreciation for that, right? The the understanding, the power in that. So I love that. Thank you. Okay. I want to ask you before we part ways here, what are ways that you release, reset, recharge? What are ways for you to make sure you're at your best? You know, you got the business, you have four kids, you have a marriage, you have also yourself. So what are the things that you do to release, reset, and recharge for yourself? Um, There's a lot. Honestly, my business is a little bit of an outlet for me. I, That's awesome. I love, love, love my kids, but having a break to come, even though I'm still talking about them. Still talking about kids. I really, for me, I enjoy working with um, other adults. And so it's really great to just have some um, personal time. And I love to uplift and help others. So it's like filling my little needs right there. But yeah, I also, um, I'm really on board with my husband. We schedule a lot to make sure that there's regular times, not just for me to work on my business, but at least twice a week, if not more, I have... um, workout groups that I go to. One is for more of the physical benefits and weightlifting. The other one is for social. Like I go because all my friends go to that class and that's a really important outlet to us. Whenever he makes an appointment for Thursday nights, I'm like, honey, you've got to move that. That's like, that's my class night. That's my social night. And so those are things that are really important to us. Um, My husband learned a long time ago when I was doing foster care and we had the hardest kids that we've ever had. Um, 
it was it was really really rough and that's another reason I started Enlightening Motherhood I felt like so alone no one got me no one understood what I was going through and now when moms come they're like my kid is like screaming and trying to scratch my face and spit on me and then 10 minutes later he's hugging me and tells me he loves me I'm like I get it I get it I'm not judging your kid I'm not judging you you're safe here but anyways at that time I I felt like I had a ton of people supporting us, but it was really hard to find someone that like got it. Um, and I was this bundle of stress and I didn't know how to handle it yet. And my husband would come home from work and I would immediately start like yelling at him and digging into all the things he did wrong. And yep. bless his heart. I, he would look at me and say, what time is Zumba tonight? Because <laughs> he knew how important it was that I take care of myself, even if I didn't recognize it. And so it was a scheduled thing. We made sure it happened and it helped me be a better mom for sure to whatever it is, if it's exercise, social time, whatever you need to just schedule it in and make sure it's, it happens. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Because it's a real thing. And a lot of new moms, all moms, we struggle with it a lot. Um, So thank you. And two other final things. One, how can people connect with you? And then two, what are your final thoughts to the Motherhood Village podcast community? Um, Connect with me while they're already listening to a podcast. They can hop over and listen to my podcast, Enlightening Motherhood. They're also, if they're on social media, connect with me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm trying to get TikTok going. Um, It's all under the same handle, Enlightening Motherhood. And yep, I'd love to connect. They can check out my website, Enlightening Motherhood. Trying to keep it simple with the name there. Perfect. I love it. And then, yeah, any final thoughts you'd like to part ways with? Um, I just, Nicole, I know you hear this all the time, but I really do love the work that you're doing and encouraging moms to not try to do this on their own. I um, think of, I haven't studied every culture in the world, but the cultures that I have studied, like um, like Korean culture, Chinese culture, Navajo culture, the Hispanic cultures that I'm familiar with, um, it's only like modern American culture that for some reason we think moms are supposed to do this alone. We're not. I don't believe that we were wired to do it alone. I don't think it's like biologically embedded in this if you're religious like I am I don't think it's what God intended either like we're not supposed to do this alone and I'm pretty sure that every person listening to your podcast at least has some idea of it that's why they're listening to the motherhood village and I just want to add to your message that we're all supposed to be here to uplift and build each other and so thank you Nicole for giving us that space to do that and for all the listeners like you don't have all the answers and you're not supposed to right? But you're, you're working on being the parent that you want to be. And that makes you amazing. So thank you parents for doing that for your children. Oh, I love that. That's such beautiful words to part with Emily. Thank you so much. I look forward to joining you on your podcast. And I think that this is what it's about collaboration. Um, Listening to yours, I think moms to your point. Yeah, we need all the resources and all the help that we can get. So thank you for sharing your story for sharing some tips and tricks and continued blessings to you for love and light. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their motherhood village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.